All right, we've got a lot to roll through this morning. I want to ask particularly that you would think with me this morning, all right? I think this topic's going to touch close to home. I know you always engage with me, but I'm going to ask for that in a special way. Last week, we talked about blackberry bushes, cactus, barnacles, and baggage. Remember that? And uh, all of the, by the way, if that sounds weird and you're brand new or you're online going, what? Uh, You can go to our website, download last week's message. It'll make a lot more sense. But all of these were pictures of how a particular sin can bog down slow or even sink the sanctification process in our life. So going back to the cactus illustration, uh, back in the old days, the saying was, uh, who put a burr in your saddle? Anybody ever heard that one, right? Good, I actually used one, you know. All right, that's fantastic. Good. But having a burr in your saddle was the idea is that you were riding along through life and much like in the desert, and somewhere along the way, you picked up one of those burrs from a cactus and uh, it got attached to your saddle and now is causing disrupting pain in some particularly tender areas, right? And there's a specific sin, a, a burr, if you will, that sticks and attaches to us just like those cactus burrs do. And it causes the ride through life to be really unpleasant. That burr, that sin, is bitterness. And it has a really nasty stickiness to it, and it can cause some real heartache. So before we look at that this morning, we probably should pray. Would you join me? Let's seek the Lord. Father, you you don't deal with this. We do. In the fallen state, and Lord, uh, when you talk about the blood of sin, and what original sin did, this is one that comes around for all of us. All of us have felt this. All of us have dealt with it. It's a tough one to get rid of. And Lord, as we walk through this morning, I'm really asking for your help uh, to identify, to talk, to uh, bring things up with people. And, and we seek you for your confidence that also of what you've done for us. And so all that's going to be mixed together as we come to communion. Ask for your help in your name. Amen. All right, so let's start. We're going to chug through this morning. What is bitterness, all right? So there's a number of different definitions, but basically uh, these will help get us in the ballpark. Bitterness is a deep-seated hostility or anger over situations or relationships that are deemed unfair by me. All right, let me read that again. It's a deep-seated hostility or anger over situations or relationships that are deemed unfair by me. Another one would be a festering resentment over how someone has sinned, whether real or perceived, against me. Uh, Synonyms. Here's a bunch of synonyms in case that didn't help. Resentfulness, dissatisfaction, disgruntledness, discontent, grudge, pique, indignation, sourness, rancor, spite, sullenness, curlishness, moroseness. There's an old word we don't use anymore, right? Petulance, peevishness. Those are all words that are attached to uh, kissing cousin words along with bitterness. Bitterness, though, is like pride. Everybody else has it but me, right? If you ask people, uh, are you bitter over what happened to you? The vast majority of people will say, absolutely not. Add an exclamation point to that, by the way. But bitterness is not so easily dismissed. You can feel it. You can taste it. You can see it in people. It's etched in their faces. It's etched in their voice. It doesn't take much to find it. All you got to do is bump them, 
right? Just bump them a little bit, and out comes a well-rehearsed and weathered script over what has happened. And you can tell that they are bitter. Again, the problem is easy to identify in others, but is actually rather difficult to identify in ourselves. Uh, the Bible is full of illustrations and admonitions, admonitions of the dangers of bitterness. Uh, let's just do a quick survey through some of them. Uh, remember Esau? Esau uh, the Genesis says that Esau made Isaac and Rebekah's life bitter by the wives he chose. Right? So it sounds like Esau's action created the bitterness, but the truth is Isaac and Rebekah also chose to respond that way. Esau was bitter at Jacob for the con job that Jacob pulled off stealing his birthright and his blessing. Right? Brothers, any, ever bitterness within family pairs? Uh, Israel's life was made bitter by their hard service to Pharaoh. And Israel was to eat bitter herbs. If you've ever done a Seder service, you've been here when Phil led us through the Seder service, right? You eat that bitter herbs. Why? That's to remind them of the bitter service, right? And what God had done for them. Mara, which the word Mara literally means bitter, was a name for a well in the desert that they couldn't drink from, and they quarreled with Moses over it. So not only was the water bitter, so were they. If you go on, Naomi, classic story, the book of Ruth, right? Naomi and her husband Elimelech, uh, Elimelech I got to say that right, uh, take off and they go to Moab because of a famine. Their sons Malhan and Chilion go with them. Uh, Elimelech dies, so does Malhan and Chilion. And when she comes back to Israel and they bless her, Naomi means pleasantness. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Because God's hand has been against me. And Naomi was bitter against God. David, it says, if you read, I just got done reading through First and Second Samuel, if you read about David's life, it says that when he went on the run from Saul, that a whole bunch of people joined to him and all those who were bitter in soul. In other words, there was a lot of things going wrong in Israel in those days. And people uh, who were bitter joined David. Uh, Michal, Saul's daughter, was given to David in marriage, and then David fled, and so she was given to another man in marriage. And after seven years, David, Saul was killed. David became king. He wanted his wife back, so he brought her back. And if you read the story, they took her, and her husband was following, weeping, begging them not to steal his wife away from him, and they sent him back. Right? And it, then you read the story, and you take it a little farther, and you find out that... Uh, Michal is in um, with several other wives and when David comes dancing in the city with the ark, she despises him in her heart. Why? Because she's bitter. She's bitter. And then it goes on to say that she never had a child. Right? And so the results and the consequences of that carried all the way through her life. Things just piled that way. Uh, Simon the magician in the New Testament book of Acts He's a guy that's interesting guy. He was led to the Lord by Philip the evangelist and then later runs in with Peter and John and he tries to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. It's called simonry, right? Where you pay to get moved up into religious circles. It's a word that has come all the way down from this incident. And so Simon, the magician, is uh, trying to buy this and, and Peter rebukes him and says, I see that you have in your heart the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. 
and, and Simon repents, and then he gets baptized, you think, oh, what a good story. But Simon later becomes known as Simon Magnus, and you can look him up. Simon Magnus becomes the father of the first heresy within the church, which is known as Gnosticism. In other words, the crookedness in his heart, that gall of bitterness, never really got released, and he became an enemy of the church down. Uh, the Gnosticism became one of the first great battles that the church had to battle. So bitterness has profound and intense implications. There are others. Jonah, for example, is a prime example. Speaking of Jonah, he's a really interesting case uh, because he actually enjoyed his bitterness. If you read the book of Jonah, he kind of reveled in it. And kind of weird, he didn't know how to be a prophet without it. That's a strange combination if you think about it, right? Uh, The first thing that we need to resolve when it comes to bitterness is that it really is a sin that must be confessed and repented of. We find it listed in the sin list in Ephesians chapter 4. It'll be up on the screen for you. You can turn there with your Bible or your phone, whatever. It says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Uh, if you have bitterness in your heart, you will speak with malice in your tongue. Notice three things here. First thing, bitterness is listed with other things, that, other sins that we would consider harmful and destructive, especially relationally, right? Right? wrath, anger, clamor, slander, we know those are bad. We know what those do to friendships and relationships. We've seen that. And so bitterness is listed along with those. Number two, bitterness is linked to a list of sins that are tied to, listen to this, grieving the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not neutral. You can't just have bitterness in your heart and walk with God because the very sin of bitterness is tied to the list of sins that are specifically right here tied to grieving the Holy Spirit. And then third, bitterness is a fruit of the old sin nature. So notice that uh, bitterness here is also listed as a sin of the tongue, but in reality, it's a sin of the heart. If you go on to Hebrews, Hebrews says this about bitterness. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, grace and holiness are linked together. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by many, and by it, many become defiled. Other translations would say stained. They stain people. And that no one who is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, here's Esau again, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Some observations out of this passage. Notice that holiness and bitterness are incompatible. They don't go together. Secondly, bitterness is described as a root, much like a weed, not Dave. Just want to see if you're listening. Right? And we've all grabbed the weed, right, and pulled the top off and a week later what happens right it comes right back up because we didn't deal with the root 
Notice that bitterness defiles or stains, and it says not just a little area, but many people. Okay? And that it's described on the same level as sexual immorality. So if we don't think that bitterness is a sin, God is layering it here or linking it here with the same kind of sins as fornication or adultery. So it, it is a very serious... Uh, Proverbs 23, 7 in the King James Version, many of us will remember this translation, says what? As a man thinks in his heart, so he is, right? And so God is pointing to this is a heart issue. This is a spirit issue that we have to wrestle with. What Ephesians is trying to tell us is that if you're bitter in your heart, you're going to be bitter with your tongue. But it's also true that if you're bitter with your tongue, you guessed it, you better check your heart, right? Because it's, it's framing something, it's telling you something. Uh, Jesus talked about this heart-staining issues. In Luke chapter 6, he said this, A good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and an evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so... You can only keep bottled in there what's in there for a certain period of time and then it's going to come out, right? We've said many times kind of in humor like, I didn't mean to say that. Well, yes, you did. You just didn't expect it to come out in that circumstance because you've been rehearsing it in your heart for a long time and bitterness is something that gets rehearsed in us. Uh, we're warned not to let bitterness cling to our hearts. So what exactly... Does, is bitterness, and what does it look like? Uh, there's been one particular resource that I've used uh, over the years, and it's an incredible uh, resource, and it's, called how to, it's a booklet called How to Be Free from Bitterness. And you can see it up here on the screen. And uh, yeah, the author is a guy named Jim Wilson. He's an old Navy guy, and he's uh, done ministry over in Moscow, Idaho, for over 40 years. And uh, I've handed out literally hundreds of these books. Uh, since I've been in ministry because I find that bitterness is something that we are commonly trapped by. And it's been a tremendous help uh, with this. And if the topic is of interest or important to you this morning, we have booklets available out at the welcome desk. Feel free to take one. And also, um, uh, if you're online, we will have something at the end of the service. All you got to do is email us and we will we'll mail you a copy. If you would like a copy, we'd be glad to do that. So, um, we'll come back to that at the end of the surface. Okay? But the condition is this. If you take it, you have to read it. Okay? This is not for taking home, looking, sitting on the shelf and going, oh, it's a, I, I, yeah, I have that booklet. Um, that's what happens often. So borrowing heavily from Jim Wilson's article, How to Be Free from Bitterness, I'd like to take a walk through this together and see if we can flesh this out a little, little deeper. Uh, one of the questions is, why is bitterness so sticky or hard to get rid of? Point number one, one of the reasons that's true is because we as people like to hold things against other people. We actually enjoy it. We like to play with it. We like to rehearse it. We like to think about how we're going to shish kebab them the next time we get together with that sarcastic little barb that we've been practicing in our minds or our hearts for the last week. It's called holding a grudge. Anybody recognize that? No? Okay, good. 
Leviticus 19. I, I like Leviticus. People don't like going through Leviticus, but great book. It says right here, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the same Lord, that, by the way, capital Lord there, that's the same Lord as Jesus talking about that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor, what? As yourself. That's the same quote in the book of Leviticus. You should look at Leviticus. There's some good things in there. Point number two. So point number one is we as people like to hold things against other people. Point number two, what's the difference between bitterness and guilt? He does a really good job with this. And I think we have to give this some attention. Wilson illustrates it this way. Here's what he says. He says, when a person sins, uh, and, and for example, he'll use the illustration of a person telling a lie. When they lie, he asks the question, do they feel guilty or do they feel bitter? And the answer is, they feel guilty. It says, now suppose someone told a lie about this person and then spread it all over town. What does he feel now? Now he feels bitterness because of what's been done to him. You get the difference? The answer is, is bitterness, right? Guilt is what we feel when we sin. Bitterness is what we feel when others sin against us. Right? So understand that. There's it, it, there's a relational component to this. Bitterness is always based upon someone else's sin, again, whether real or imagined. You've ever been really ticked at somebody or bent, and then you went and talked to them, oh, I, I never said that, I never meant that. I, yes, you did, right? No, I really didn't. That's, uh, sometimes we can imagine, we can't really believe that what we thought wasn't real. It has to be real because I thought it. Bitterness is based on sin that somehow relates to you. And here's the important component. It is how it relates to you. It is not how big the sin is. It's how close the sin is to you. In other words, it depends on the arena around you. If some outrageous sin, for example, occurred this morning, uh, far off part of the world like uh, Afghanistan or Thailand or something like that, um, we would read about it and we'd go, oh, that's terrible. But we wouldn't get bitter over it, all right? Um, and we wouldn't feel guilty about it. Again, it does not depend on how great the evil is. It depends on how close the other person is to me that does it, all right? So we've just narrowed the field down. Think about bitterness as related to those people who are close. So who would be the most likely candidates? Well, most likely targets, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, children, neighbors, boyfriends, girlfriends, roommates, bosses, co-workers, relatives. Closest target, husband and wives. Most likely target, God. Much of our wrestling with bitterness has to do with anger and dissatisfaction towards God and how we think he should or shouldn't have handled a certain situation. This last one, disappointment with God, is what I would categorize as disappointment with life. And it goes like this, God, how could you have let that happen? Or, 
why didn't you do anything? Or, life has not given me what I wanted, and God, it's your fault. Therefore, I have a right to be bitter. Again, we do not get bitter towards evil outside of our own immediate context. Bitterness is based upon the sin of someone who is close to us and did something to us. Wilson also makes another great point that is really worth consideration. Again, he says this, It is not the size of the sin that matters. It does not have to be great. It just has to be close. We often feel justified in our holding on to bitterness. Well, if only you understood my circumstances, if you had seen what had happened, if you had been there, you would realize why I have the right to be bitter. And really what we're saying in bitterness is that I'm going to hold on to this till the person or the circumstances change. And then often we're bitter for years. Point number three, the Bible God does not grant anyone the right to be bitter. There's no verse or chapter that says you have a right to choose bitterness. Okay? Look at the text again. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by many become defiled. Ephesians 4.31 again said what? Get rid of how much bitterness? 66.2%? 74.3%? 87.5%? Now what does it say there? All. All bitterness. Right? We are to get rid of all bitterness. Here the writer uses the illustration of a root and like I said we've uh, had experience with that. If I just pull off the leaves uh, that stick above the ground, what's going to happen? Okay, that's right, a week or so later, the leaves appear. Because why? We never dealt with the root. Bitterness is like this. Wilson states that fruit that is born bears a direct relationship to the root that's producing it. In other words, if someone's got bitter symptoms and they talk bitter and they sound bitter, they look bitter, he says, literally, you can see it etched on their face. He says that has to do with what's going on inside the heart of a person. So the, the verse is warning us to beware, to be watchful, to be uh, on top of any root of bitterness that might spring up. Now, how does this work? Someone is offended, and instead of dealing with it, they allow it to fester. As it festers, the offense is rehearsed over and over in the mind of the offended person. As it is rehearsed, the heart of the offended person begins to harden, or as we have illustrated, begins to grow a root. As the root bores down into the spirit of that person, the offended person decides to share. He is bitter, and he has let the root come to the surface and bear fruit. He shares many, as he shares, many other people are stained and become bitter. Can you say church split? 99% of all church splits come out of somebody who became bitter over a circumstance. You ever see people come out of church circumstances bitter? It's deadly, all right? The passage tells us that when this happens, the grace of God is missed and that many people become stained or filthy. How many people do you know personally that used to be in church and no longer are because if that's the way church is run, I never want to be a part of it again, right? They're all over. They're, in our culture, they're called the nuns. Okay? What's your affiliation? None. Right. Point number four. 
stuff bitterness. So if you're the person who says, well, I'm not going to tell you, I'm just going to stuff it, creates heavy emotional baggage that is really hard to lug around. If I never talk about it and I don't get rid of the root, then it sits inside of me and it festers and becomes toxic. And this has serious ramifications. It can affect my health. It can affect my emotions. It can affect my walk with God. Bitterness, says Wilson, has an accumulation effect to it. And what he means by that, it gets heavier and worse as time goes on. It doesn't get better. That is why we must go to Jesus Christ and ask him to help us deal with this because he's the only one who can help us and get rid of this kind of bitterness. Also, bitterness isn't static. It moves, right? It kind of takes on a life of its own. Uh, Again, the temptation is to look at the offender, Wilson says, and not at ourselves. Hurt easily turns into resentment. Resentment easily turns into bitterness. And he identifies that there's a connection between bitterness and hatred, biblically, and the Bible identifies the connection between hatred and murder. Now do you understand why Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, if you even get angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder? Because he saw the chain of progression. If it's not dealt with, it leads to murder. He says we must recognize bitterness as a gross evil, and bitterness stands on its own. Bitterness is so deadly because it doesn't forgive. When someone comes to us and says they're sorry, that doesn't get rid of our bitterness. You ever have someone come to you and say, I'm so sorry, and you go, well, whatever, but you hold on to the offense in your heart? That's how we get affected. The only thing that gets rid of bitterness is confession before God because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's actually the only solution. Look at this scripture here. It says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, and notice there, as far as as it is possible, it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's Romans chapter 12. Point number five. Here's the key point of the morning. So if you've been gliding over the rest and kind of zoned out, here's one to zero in on. Bitterness remembers details. Bitterness remembers details. Our minds have a bad habit or ability, if you will, to rewind the tape and replay the details of something that we are bitter of or about. We usually, Wilson says, don't go over wonderful things as much. We remember them and uh, like you ever... tried to remember vacations 15 years ago. Oh, that was a great time. Where do we go again? You know, kind of thing. Um, but when we're offended, we go over and over and over the bad things that have happened to us. And he, this, he says, is usually an indication of bitterness. And that's why when we get in fights with each other, we call it, we bring up the whole history and the kitchen sink to boot, right? Just the whole thing unloads. Why? Because we've been rehearsing that in our minds. He tells the story of an old friend who came to one of his meetings, and, and it was actually the wife talking to him. And I think this is instru- an instructive story for us. She said, we had been married for eight years, and she said, the first year of our marriage, I was so bitter towards my mother that I laid it on my husband every single day. 
She said, our first year of marriage was awful because I kept sharing this bitterness towards my mother with my husband. And then she told Wilson that seven years earlier she had gone to a session where he had taught on bitterness and that she had gotten rid of hers. <coughs> Excuse me. One day she saw another woman who was really bitter towards her mother. And she thought, I can help this woman. I can share all of our common experiences. So she went to the woman, but was startled when she began to share because since she had dealt with God and dealt with the bitterness, she couldn't remember any of the details. God had wiped the details out. She said to him, my detailed memory was gone. All I could tell her was I used to remember things, but I don't remember them anymore. The Lord had really uh, taken care of her bitterness. Uh, We're going to get ready for communion, so... Uh, team here, make sure you have a plate and your stuff ready for you. And those of at home, if this would be a great time to prepare for communion. I want to go over the last point to set communion up. Point number six. We must be ruthless in dealing with our bitterness. We've, we have got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in going after it. He makes the point that you have to confess until it's gone. And then he tells this story on himself, and I think you'll be able to relate to it. He says, many years ago, I was working at my desk, and my wife, Bessie, was in bed reading. Uh, Whatever I was doing wasn't going very well. Bessie said something to me. I turned around, and I let her have it. And he says it was something very unchristian. She looked at me in amazement, got up, and left the room. He says, I sat there thinking, she shouldn't have said that. Look what she said. Look, 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 look. He says, I did that for about 10 minutes. I was bitter towards Bessie. But all she really did, he says, was jolt the cup. What was in the cup came out. He said, if I had been filled with sweetness and light, the jolt would have not mattered. He said, as I sat there, I thought about what she said. He said, I knew better because I had already learned this truth about bitterness. And still I thought about her sin because there's enjoyment in accusing the other person, balancing the scales, so to speak. He says, I sat there for a while, then got up, went over to my side of the bed, got down on my knees, and I said, Lord, it was my own fault. I, it was my bitterness and my sin. I'm confessing it. I'm forsaking it. Please forgive me. Then he got up off his knees and he said, but look at what she said. I got back down on my knees. God, I am sorry for what I did. I accept responsibility. It was my sin and my sin only. I got back off my knees and said, God, you and I know who's really at fault here. I knelt back down. And he says, I stayed there for 45 minutes until I could get up and not say, look at what she said. Anybody relate to that? He goes on to add, he says, now I do not remember what Bessie said. And he says, I don't even remember what I was doing at the desk anymore. He says, what I do remember, he says, I don't remember the details, but he says, The one thing I do remember, he says, I remember getting up. He says, I remember that it was gone. But he adds, I also know that if I had not taken care of the bitterness, I would would know to this day exactly what she said 
and exactly what had happened. He says that's the nature of bitterness, and that's what we have to work at. How serious of an issue is this? Jim Wilson puts it this way. I believe this sin, the sin of bitterness, is a major hindrance to revival in this country. In other words, we don't have to change the culture. All we got to do is let God change the church. Right? And Northview, I think this is exciting. Okay? So jump out of your guilt complex. Okay? I think this is exciting. Let me tell you why. We can all do this. We can all cooperate with the Holy Spirit on points where we know we have points of bitterness in our heart and we can cooperate with Him. How much resentment, offense, and bitterness do you think there's in a room this size, including those watching this morning? How much? You know, bitterness is right now the poison pill of our culture. Right? The whole cancel culture, the whole political culture, everything going on right now, it's all based off of bitterness. Right? And it doesn't let up. But we can cooperate. If each one of us took care of what God was pointing out to us. And if we saw our bitterness as a gross sin against God, not just some little uh, kind of thing that I once in a while deal with, and if, like Jim Wilson, we went after it and confessed till we couldn't remember the details anymore, that means we, as a church, could actually be a catalyst for a revival that we've been praying about for the last 20 years. Do we want that? Yes, are we willing to take the step necessary to do that? I hope so. God is not, what I'm pointing out this morning is God's not asking something from us that we cannot do. He's asking something from us that we all know how to do. Psalms 34, 5 says, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. And I've asked myself, why don't we radiate as a church? Why don't we radiate as a group of people? And the reason is because we're bitter. We have to be, we have, but we have the source to be free from bitterness. That's the cool thing this morning. We know what the answer is. The answer is the Lord Jesus himself. The Lord Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the dead provides a way for us to deal with sins like bitterness. What's he saying this morning when we come to communion? He's saying, look to me, okay? Remember what I've done for you. You know, if you think about it, if there was anybody who could be bitter, wouldn't it be the Lord Jesus? And he chose not to be bitter. I mean, think how unfair, think how gross the stuff that was done to him and how it was done. And if anybody could seethe with resentment, wouldn't it be Jesus? And yet, what does Scripture tell us? For God, we sang it this morning. For God, so what? Loved the world. God isn't bitter towards the world. God loves the world. And so he gave us this picture. When you think about this week and you think about the offenses of others against you, which we all have them, okay? Married couples, we have patterns, Okay? We get really good at our nonverbals. We can figure out what's going on before a word's ever said and get resentful, right? Look to him. What did he do? He said, this is my body, which was broken for you. 
He says, eat this in memory of me. And then we're washed. We're cleansed by the blood that he shed for us. He says, remember, and you're getting rid of bitterness, remember what I went through. He says, we can do this together. He says, drink this in memory of me. Here's the point. You can't be radiant and bitter at the same time. You ever tried that? Doesn't work. Can't be radiant and bitter at the same time. Let's let Christ shine, Northview. Let's let him shine. All right, let's pray. Father, this one is a close target for a lot of us. We're going to talk some more about it next week in terms of how to deal when bitterness comes our way. And Lord, we seek you um, for help in this. We know that we have patterns. We know we come from family systems that uh, have left patterns in us that sometimes we're not even aware of. And Lord, we seek you this morning that you might wash and cleanse us. But more than that, we'd cooperate with that cleansing. Um, Lord, some of us have pets who don't like their baths and they fight us the whole way through. And sometimes we're like that with you. We just fight you the whole way. And Lord, we seek you that we'd stop that fight, that we would own our part and that you would help us unpack this stuff and we not have to carry that baggage around. We give that to you with great hope and ask this in your name. Amen.